What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. I'm your host, Josh Smith, here with my co-host, Raul and Shu. Pretty good week for Duke, I guess. Uh, if you look at the global picture, 2-0. and um, Kind of an odd thing. We talked about this being Kay's first game against Wake, and we didn't even get a full game. So he's effectively, I guess, coached a half against Wake. Going to jump in and talk a little bit about each game individually, but before I do that, like as I was watching the Wake game, it kind of reminded me of this theme that we've seen for Duke of like we have this potential to get up and get big leads, but then we also have this potential for these long scoring droughts. We kind of saw it against Ohio State for the first time detrimentally, um, but we've seen it a little bit since then. So, you know, Raul, I'll toss it to you first. These offensive droughts, do you think it's a personnel thing, a system thing, or something else entirely? I don't know if you can really separate the personnel from the system, but to the extent that you can, um, I think the issue is that we're a really good passing team. However, when that initial kind of passing attack gets shut down, sometimes you need uh, good isolation scorers to fall back on. And does this team really have a good isolation score? I mean, in stretches, sure. We've seen Paolo can sometimes do it. Keels can sometimes do it. Moore can sometimes do it. AJ can sometimes do it. But none of them are elite at it. It's not like we have a Zion. We also don't have like a back-to-the-basket post player that you could just throw it to either. I think this is a problem you kind of sometimes see with great passing teams in general. There's actually a quote from Kevin Durant a few years back that seems relevant to me, which is uh, he was talking about Golden State and their sort of free-flowing offense and you know the, the pass-heavy offense that they run. And he was talking about how sometimes when you get in the playoffs, you can't do that and you need to have another option. Uh, you know, And of course, he's a great isolation scorer. And uh, that's the NBA, so it's not exactly the same, but I think there is some relevance there. Uh, Shu, what do you think? Yeah, well, I definitely don't think it's a personnel thing. I mean, you look at this roster. I mean, how many NBA guys do we have on this team right here? I mean, you've got guys that can play and can put the ball in the basket and have for a long time. I just don't know if it's like a mental thing for us, too. Like, we get into this rhythm where we just take four or five bad shots in a row. Like, we just don't we don't attack. Sometimes I think we settle for a lot of those mid-range jump shots or a couple three-pointers in a row during these stretches. Um, so I think it's a little bit systematic in the fact that we don't, like you said, we don't have an ISO score. We don't have a Tatum. We don't have a Kyrie, somebody you just hand the ball to and they kind of get whatever they want really. Right. Paulo can a bit, like you mentioned, some of these guys can, but nobody like consistent at it. So, um, it's, it's definitely to me, it's just, uh, it's, it's baffling with this, with this roster. So I think it's a little bit like mental to just not being strong enough mentally. Well, because we see it like in those composure moments, right? Like we've seen it when things get tight. We've seen it at the end of games. Um, we've lost a lot of close games. We won a few close games too, but it just seems like we get out to these leads and we play some like beautiful basketball for a while. Uh, and then it, like, it starts to get tight. They start to make a run and it's like everyone gets in the tunnel vision, right? We've seen kills just like I'm driving to score no matter what. Dale kind of just like, head down going even aj gets into that mode paolo gets into that mode but it's it's hard to figure out because we also have moments where like i think at one point this year we've had four different guys have like seven assists in a game or something like that right and so you have like multiple passers and it's hard to tell are we overpassing kind of like we're always kind of hitting like you can overpass you can pass up shots that you need to take and then there's that value of having the isolation. Um, you mentioned Tatum. I was listening to the podcast that he had with JJ, uh, and he was talking about getting criticized for his shot selection. But at the same time, it was either Favali or Danny LaRue or someone a couple of years ago were talking about there's value for having a guy that can take that shot. Like even if he's shooting it at like 33, 34%, the average NBA player is shooting that shot at 27%. So while it's a bad shot, there's value in somebody that can take it and make it at a higher rate, if that makes sense. And I don't think we really have that. I don't know if that's a role thing where we haven't really defined roles or there's not enough talent separation, maybe. Like Paolo hasn't really put himself where it's like, I'm clearly the alpha, you know, kind of like some of the guys we've had in the past have. Um, 
you know, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing because it gives us balance. Like the last, like you look at our box scores, how many times have we had four and five guys in double digits consistently? And it seems like we do that a lot this year. I don't know if y'all have picked up on that or not. Yeah. FSU game last game was, you know, and several times before for sure. And how many assists did we have in that FSU game? Like 25? 25. Yep. 32 shots on 32. Yeah. That's something you would think you would want. It's just that we don't have that guy who kind of reliably and consistently wants to take the shot when the offense completely falls apart. I mean, I guess the closest one to wanting to take that shot would be maybe Keels because he does take a lot of those late shot clock shots, but he hasn't shown that he's elite enough to sort of justify that. I mean, I would lean towards AJ in that situation, but he can be a little bit passive too. A lot of our guys, honestly, are somewhat on the passive side more. He's okay with taking six or seven shots in a game. AJ's okay with a low shot count. Um, you know, uh, Roach, obviously, too. And Paolo, will, he'll drift and almost be non-existent for an entire half. And it's not an easy thing to do, right? It's There's not many guys out there like a Chris Paul or we start from Tyus at Duke that just has the kind of awareness to be able to go and like, just I'm going to kind of distribute. I'm going to take what they give me. But when there's like, when the seven minute mark hits in the second half, like it's go time and they can just flip that switch and take over a game. Part of it is because we don't really have guys that have the combination of being able to create separation. And then also getting to, if AJ could get to the rim, I think a little bit better than his ability to get the separation on the step back could really open it up. But like you mentioned him being passive, some of his drives are a little passive, right? Like you see some of those hammer dunks he has, but then other times it looked like he's still... He's not committed, right? Like it feels right. like he drives in and he's like, do I go up hard? Or then he just kind of barely goes up and doesn't really get any lift off the ground sometimes it seems like. I mean, but you see that left-handed dunk that he had on Carolina and you're like, this guy's got the package to do what he wants to do. You just don't see it consistently. It's yeah. like, I don't know if he's still kind of just like feeling it out or maybe that his game's just not really like that. I'm not sure. Um, or he'll, or he'll drive in um, and Paolo will do this too. They'll drive in and be like, you know, seven or eight from, from the basket and decide to pass. And they're passing to somebody like five feet away. And it's like, what's the point? Like you just, you drove in and then you passed the mark and he's five feet from you and he's just as guarded. There was no advantage there. Like, um, so I've seen that a lot too, this kind of indecision, which I think probably comes from lack of selfishness. And it's kind of an admirable trait in this team. I don't think there's a selfish player on the team, but maybe we need a little selfishness at some point. That's a good point. Um, and it's ha- we've seen it at times somewhere it's cost us, like the Virginia game. Paolo gets into the lane and tries like, you know, if that bounce pass gets through to Theo, like it's you know, Magic Johnson, but at the same time, it's like, dude, you're the best player on the floor. You got into the lane. Even Kay, I think, was saying, if we get in the lane, we got to get a shot. We didn't get a shot, right? We saw it against AJ against Carolina. Obviously, it didn't matter because of what was going on, but, like, remember he had that heat check three, but he tried to, like, throw an alley-oop. I think that was the Carolina game, and it's like, dude, you just got to shoot that. You're, like, four or five from three at this point. You got to just shoot it. Um, So maybe, you know, a little more selfish, which is weird because – I kind of think that's one of K's like biggest strengths. If it's like player empowerment of the best player, right? Like look at Jabari, look at Nolan, whoever it is. Usually he's pretty good at saying like, I got to turn this dude into the alpha. Um, I got to get him going. I got to get him taking the most shots. And we just haven't really seen that yet. I don't know if that's what he wants from Paolo or not, but um, I'm surprised we haven't really seen kind of that usage tends to creep north of 30 for our best players around this time of the year. And it seems to still be pretty balanced. I don't know. I just thought we'd kind of, it's curious to me before, as we jump into these games. If anything, Paolo's become less involved in the offense, yeah. which, I would say. Um, and it's, it's strange, you know, this is the time of year when you would expect us to just really lean on him. Uh, like you said, you see the usage creep up and up and up for our star players throughout the year. Think about like, 2009 and how our entire offense became Gerald Henderson once he broke out. And we're just not seeing anything like that. Uh, Or down the stretch of 2019 with Zion, you know, at first it was like, 
maybe he'd take nine shots in a game. Maybe he'd take 12. But then towards the end of the year, we were really leaning on him, which was good, of course. But I mean, we don't have anyone even close to Zion's talent level on this team. So maybe that's part of it. But you still would think that Kay would have kind of decided the hierarchy of shots a little bit better. And maybe it just comes back to what we've talked about probably since we started this podcast, we've talked a lot about the Mark Paolo kind of conundrum of you can't take either one off the floor really because of what they do to our ceiling on different aspects. And so part of it might be Paolo would be that guy if he was playing the five, right? If Mark wasn't not to throw anyone under the bus, but if, if it was Paolo and then guys like Jack White or Javin or Bolden or Marshall that were kind of helping man the post or Theo um, he's going to end up being the five, right? Like that's just going to be the de facto way we go. Now Mark is just insanely valuable that you can't pull him off the floor, which is kind of weird because his block rate and percentage has gone down, but he's gotten better. You know, it's kind of like a cool little thing, but I think that that contributes, right? If Mark's not on the floor, then we probably, we make Paolo stay down there instead of like, it's easier to drift out knowing that I'm not actually the, the primary post, but um, I, I guess we'll jump in here a little bit unless you got something else. All right. Well, we'll start with the weight game. Um, you know, obviously uh, kind of a, a weird situation going on at half. K didn't come back out. There were some reports on that. Um, sounds like he's doing pretty good from all everything that I've seen, but uh, looked like we were kind of just going to, run away with it it was not going to be an issue got up like what i think 20 or 21 or something like that in the second half um and then that offensive drought hits i don't i guess we'll kind of start with that and pick up with that theme was that just us reacting to not having k just getting in a bad situation wake playing well or did you see something kind of bigger picture there what was the score when the drought started it was like 57 to 38 i believe yeah we were up 20 yeah right right 19 or something yeah 19 20 yeah it was right around there and did we have a lot of turnovers in that stretch it didn't really seem like it to me it was just a bunch of missed shots right and wake made a bunch of shots or am i wrong about that i I mean it's just sort of the pattern we've seen of the inability to score for whatever reason and we've got the 10th or 11th rated offense in the country um you know it's just Again, it's there's not really a clear explanation for it. Uh, what do you, uh, Shu? Do you have any thoughts on it? Well, I think Cave hit on it, and afterwards, I think he talked about you know because he stayed at the stadium and um, you know talked to the team after the game. But it was a little bit of both. Like you know, Wake made a run, um, and we helped them out with that by you know just not being mentally strong enough to. So, okay, these guys that just went on an eight or run or whatever it is, you know, let's get a basket right here at all calls. Like get a get a basket and then let's try to get a stop. Um, I think at the end before the halftime, wasn't LaRavia just did he score like seven in a row on us in like a minute, a minute and a half, right? Like we just have these little mental lapses where we're just not, like I said, just not tough enough to to impose our will on on the other team. And the thing is, we were up seven. We were up uh, 74 to 67, I believe, with like a minute 17 left. So despite giving up most of the lead, we were still in really good position. I mean, I think if you were to look at kind of the odds calculator at that point, we would have been like 95% to win if you're up seven with a minute and 17 left. And we still, that was the bigger implosion to me, was not letting them cut it down from 19 to seven, but then allowing them to score seven points in a minute, essentially. Um, I did like that Paolo did not settle for a jump shot at the end there, that he was able to get in the lane, you know, drive down the lane, get a good shot up that, you know, most of the time probably goes in, to be honest. Um, And that, of course, created the opportunity for Mark. Yeah. And John even talked about it. And I liked how he was talking about like we were, I wanted to get something with Paulo moving downhill. Um, and to me, that could, that could be something that we see more going forward instead of trying to get him the ball on the block or like coming off to a high post to face. Maybe if we get him already in motion, since 
to me, that was kind of a nice way of saying, you know, I really don't want him just like ISOing up, trying to beat his man one-on-one. I'd rather get him kind of already with some momentum heading towards the basket. Um, Paulo probably should have made the shot, right? Like he, it was a great look. Uh, he got to the rim, got what he wanted. Anyway, it opened it up for Mark, but I liked hearing that from John for sure. Shoot, you want to jump in? Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to ask you guys, you know, John coached the first weight game. Was that the game we saw him like really make some nice play calls in that one? Um, a lot of out of bounds stuff. I just didn't notice anything in the second half that really caught my eye what we were doing. Um, it seemed like we were just kind of hanging on for dear life, to be honest with you. It, it, he didn't seem to use the bench that that much in the second half, too, unless I'm remembering wrong. But I felt like I was like, these guys have been playing pretty much the second half here. Yeah, multiple guys above like 37, 38 minutes. Um, I think Joey played two minutes. Theo, I think, actually played a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, short. I think we just kind of – we got up 20, and it was just kind of like, okay, let's just kind of coast and finish this thing. Um, And we kind of got punched in the mouth. (laughs) Do you think that's because he was just kind of thrust into that role too? Um, Same thing with our players too. I mean, how much of their mind was on, you know, Kay not being – on the bench, it's one thing if you know going to the end of the game that Kay's going to be out, but just to have it happen in the middle of the game like that. And then, of course, John, you know, I'm sure he was involved in the scouting and he's, you know, coached against Wake before, but to take over midway through a game is a lot different than going in prepared to coach the entire game. So I thought that might have been some of it. He was kind of just maybe playing it a little bit too safe with the rotations and and some of it's just, you know, I think he wanted to call that timeout and Kills didn't see it or for whatever reason and just went in, turnover. Dale doesn't get the ball up, gets bodied and just turnover, like, you know. Do you think that's what – because I watched it and I thought at first, like, you know, John is probably, you know, watched Little Giants and the the uh, annexation of Puerto Rico play or whatever, you know, some kind of trick play. I was wondering if they had that kind of, like – hey, come down here and make them think we're going to call timeout, but then zip to the lane and throw a lob to Mark real quick. Because, I mean, dude, is Trevor really not going to call a timeout when John's telling him to call? T- I don't know. I don't It just – I thought it could have been a trick play gone wrong, essentially. Yeah, as rogue as Keels can go, I don't see him doing that. That seems – like beyond the pale, you know, I don't think he would just flat out ignore John like that. I feel like it was like, Hey, come here. Wink, wink. We're calling timeout. And, you know, Wake knows that you're going to do this or thinks you're going to call timeout. So they stand up and relax. And then you see kills kind of dart off to the lane and just kind of threw it a little too high. So I don't know. I, I thought it was a, a trick call to be honest. I didn't even think about that. I'm just, I, yeah, that's the first time I even considered that. That's interesting. Um, I had just assumed that, John was waving it over for timeout and Keels just assumed, like just saw the motion and just thought John was telling him to go because it looked like he was kind of just coming up and then that happens and then he just takes off and it's like, what, what, are, we, what, are, you, what are you doing? What are you doing? I don't know. Maybe it was a Statue of Liberty or something. Maybe. I don't know. You know. <laughs> go ahead, Ro. I was just going to say that's also possible for sure. Like, I think of the explanations, the least likely one to me is just Keel seeing it and ignoring it. Yeah, I didn't I think get him that misunderstanding it would be another thing, you know, but because we've seen it before, right? The whole right. like Paul is supposed to get the ball, Dale's going, like Paul thinks we're calling a timeout, Kay doesn't want a timeout, and we got that shot off against um I don't even remember who that was, Miami, maybe, or uh maybe that was a Florida State. And I can't remember who it was, which one it was, but Whatever game we lost. Are you talking about the one where Dell drives down the middle of the lane? Yeah. Who was that? Uh, that was FSU. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we've yeah, seen it before. Some late game miscommunication. Obviously, uh, Mark in the Virginia game too, not knowing right. who he's supposed to guard. So I think that's got to be attributed to youth. Um, just not being able to kind of pick up super quickly on the game plan. Think about it. If you played for four years in college, you've seen everything, right? You've seen, oh, we've run this play 20 times before versus if you're a freshman or a sophomore, yes, you've seen some of it from high school, but stuff does get more complex at the college level for sure. That's where it's nice to have that really experienced point guard too, right? Like we saw AJ take that three. Was that in the Virginia game? Who was the one where he took the three like, where he just Way came early. down and pulled it up. And yeah. It's like, what are you <laughs> doing, dude? <laughs> Recognize time and clock. Like, you know, yeah. 
like um or scoring clock so i i don't know i feel like sometimes we just need somebody to like calm us down and and kind of weather us through those tough times really well fortunately mark saved us so yeah yeah and that might be part of the ball handling offensive drought thing too is having so many guys it's like too many cooks in the kitchen sometimes right having so many guys that can do it versus and we talked about this a little bit kind of offline the value of like having someone that you know wants that shot. Even if they're not taking it, they know that they want it, they're comfortable with it, and the other team knows it, right? So it opens up that shot for Cam to make against FSU a few years ago. It opens things up for that other guy. Um, Even looking at the 2012 team, I don't think that would be, looking back, any Duke fan's favorite team or super memorable other than the Carolina game. It's hard for me to even think of us being able to get that shot that Austin took with this team, right? Of just having the guy, Seth, telling him to go, and he's just like, yo, I got I got it. I want to switch ball screens and just, I got it, right? Even if he doesn't make the shot, the fact that he's able to get that shot is a way better look than we've got many of our late game looks so far, right? In terms of just um, we got the one for take. We got that one for Paulo. I think it was like in the Clemson game, Clemson, late yeah. clock, yeah, that we actually pulled that one out. So. Yep. You know, that was a nice play to get him the ball in the paint, easy score. He did have six assists in the weight game. Like he was passing the ball pretty well, especially to to the other bigs. Uh I think he had a couple like wraparounds in in the lane to to mark. He also went eight of nine from the free throw line. I think yep. the majority of those were in the second half. I believe uh Deb Antonelli was saying that in the FSU game, actually. She was commenting that. He had attacked much more aggressively in the second half of that weight game. Speaking of which, I've liked her kind of research, her talking about synergy. And uh, I don't know if you guys caught all that, her stuff about having watched all of Mark's blocks and how many mm-hmm. of them led to transition plays. I yeah, appreciate stuff I love like that. that stuff. Yep. Yep. And I was going to save it, but you brought it up too. And we'll jump into FSU after this. But free throw shooting as a team has been kind of a positive trend um, lately. We've done pretty well, knock on wood, like collectively from the line. That's a great sign. I'd like for us to get there more, but it's still a good sign. We're starting to get there more frequently. Um, I think we shot over 80% against Florida State, and I think like 77 78% against Wake, which as a team, you'd take that all day long. That's great. But I guess we'll jump into FSU unless there was anything else in particular from Wake. The you know the home curse, if you want to call it that. Yeah, that's been concerning. Head. Yeah, that's been kind of a concerning trend. Um, Especially since we've got segue. one more left. And it's, yeah. it's our, you know, arch rivals. I, <laughs> I know. I'm. I'll save that for the the preview. But I'm I'm a little more concerned about that than I was the first time around, just because it's a, a lot of emotion for us, and it's you know, um, there's not really it's a no win situation almost for Duke. But we'll we'll hold off on that. But uh, yeah, the home playing at home, you know, like that we saw it again the first half against Florida State, coming in missing five guys, five starters, and they're just neck and neck with us hanging with it our defense just was not good um the first half i think that's probably putting it lightly fortunately we made some adjustments but um before we jump into the second half what what was going on for y'all watching that first half seeing you know five starters out we're struggling to me i was kind of like here we go again right like we're just we just don't play well at home i mean they're shooting 70 percent scoring in the paint it, it reminded me of the virginia game the miami game like they're just cutting us up, getting by the perimeter. We're playing Matador defense on the perimeter. And I think Mark had two fouls, right? So he's on the bench mm-hmm. for a lot of this. So, you know, Theo's a good rim protector, but he's not Mark, right? Like no disrespect to him, but Mark's one of the best in the nation, especially, you know, not even just blocking shots, but altering shots. And when you don't have that guy intimidating people and to be that anchor on the backside, you know, if our guards do get, blown by from the overplay or whatever it is um just nobody to clean it up and they scored you know pretty much at will uh they hit a couple of contested tough shots too i will say that but we didn't force enough like mid-range and it with somebody in their face you know we're letting them get by us uh paolo was also in foul trouble correct i think he had yeah, two, both yeah, of both them, of them. Yeah. yeah yeah so that's big i mean those if you think about it those are our two best rim protectors. I mean, I guess you could argue argue that Theo's about equal to Paolo as a rim protector, but yeah. Paolo's obviously going to be in the game more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that that was a big reason. I also felt like the scouting report was like weird or something. Like I, I felt we had 
in games up until the last two, I felt we had dialed back the overplay a little bit. And then suddenly in these last two games, I'm noticing that we're just kind of like guarding ball screens 30 feet from the basket for no reason. But do you think it had something to do with their being their second string? Like, let's just come out and like put a lot of pressure on these guys. They're not their their main five. We'll force like, them to turn it over. Yeah, and that, and it, that it, Evans guy was out too, right? Like, yeah. did he just have like 25 or something yeah. the night before the game that they just played? So maybe it was the strategy of like, like hey, a freshman point guard, I think, Worley was his name or something like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and they played, they, they responded. I mean, they went by us and, and were cook, cooking us. So, well, that was a Carowell scouting report they said on the broadcast. So mm. that's an L for him if, uh, if that was indeed his decision to pressure more than usual. Kay said after the game that we were overpressuring. And it's yeah. like, what have you been coaching the last 40 years? Where You know where this comes from, right? I just thought that was a little funny. Like, oh, now suddenly uh, yeah. you're thinking that the overplay is maybe rich. not a good, a good idea. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the issue. I mean, for example, when Mark gets, I believe it was his first of the two fouls. It was an and one. Um, the reason that happened is because Moore gets blown by because he's trying to get around a screen that's, again, like 35 feet out. And there's no reason for that. And then his man just flies by him. Mark has to scramble to recover because he's too far out too. He fouls the guy, uh, whoever it was. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember, but he makes the basket. That's that's foul number one, you know. And so that kind of started us down this path of them shooting 70% for most of the half, like you said, uh, shoot. But I think they finish at 59% for the half. The good news is they could not stop us. Yeah. So yeah. their offense looked well. Can I say this? Solid, they couldn't. They couldn't stop Joey Baker. That's true. That's true. Because <laughs> Joey Baker, Coach K said it. I mean, Joey Baker saved us this game, really. I mean, it was a tight game until Joey just, you know, instant offense come in, no pump fakes allowed, just straight letting them letting them fly. Yeah, that was the best I've seen him play. Yeah. Yeah. And like not to be super prisoner of the moment, but we've talked before about like how there just hasn't been a ton of like big moments, like vintage moments from this team. And as frustrating as this game was, like playing down to their bench, I thought there was two moments in this game that were probably some of the most rewatchable that we've had for this season. One being that Theo block, the Dale pass, and the AJ dunk, right? Like that, that's like flashbacks of watching 2019 Duke almost, like how that went down. And then the Baker, like kind of just that sequence. Um, we haven't had a ton of that, I feel, I don't feel like this year of just like clips that I want to just go back and rewatch on repeat. Um, was it this game or was it the Wake game that we had that sequence where I think it was like Moore skips it to the corner and then we throw it around pretty much shell drill. It ends up to the corner and Roach, I believe, was the yep. one in the corner hits the three. It was one of the nicest like ball movement sequences we've had. I can't remember if it was in in this last one or, or the Wake game, but... Um, I think that's the weight game. I think that okay. was the weight game because it got swung all the way around. Yeah. And yeah. He's in the corner, last man yep. and, and hits it. Um, is Yeah. It's weird that a team that passes this well wouldn't have more highlights. Right. Um, I mean, we don't have a lot of high flyers. So I guess that's part of it. Like when you've got a Zion or a Cassius Stanley on your team, you're going to end up with more highlights. You know, AJ will throw down occasionally more, more goes for it. I'll give him that. Uh, he's, yeah. He might get hurt at some point, but I'm waiting on him to just like really catch Close somebody yep. because you guys remember that clip from the summer where I think it was in the practice, the DMB put it up, um, but he came down. I don't know if they were running a drill, if it was five on five, but I think it was Borden, poor soul. I mean, it it, <laughs> it was one of the nests. You guys don't remember this? Or oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And he waits on you, too. He waits on you on the break now. Like yeah. you see him looking back, like, come on up here and catch me. Yeah. Come, come catch one. And I hope he saves it because I want it to be like Jason Tatum 2.0 and let Bay Cotter Manic slide over and try to beat him <laughs> up there. And I hope right. he just crushes yeah. him. Um, that's, you know, go ahead and save that one, Dale. Save that one for senior night. But yeah, credits for him for keep going for it. On the plus side of this game, we did, uh, we had one of those late first half runs yet again that I've been talking about, right? Uh, in a couple minutes, it went from 
essentially a tie game to 10 or 12 point lead. And that was really the game. You know, they, I think they cut it down to like nine at some point in the second half, but really it never got close after that. And then we pushed it up to 23 or 24 and then took our foot off the gas with like five or six minutes left and one by 18. So. And it's funny that I've started to notice a trend that there we've had those like end of half, beginning of half spurts a few times. And I might be wrong, but when I went back and I was looking at like some of it, like three or four, the main theme that I found is AJ's usually involved in it. In some capacity, he's either like going two for two from three in that scenario, or he's getting to the rim in that sequence. I know he had, I know he had the finish. And he also had one where I think he recovered and blocked a shot that like ended up leading to a, a run out. Um, obviously, he was the catalyst in the uh, the UNC kind of like in the half start of second half where he just goes off. He seems to like that moment. Um, so maybe he becomes the guy at the end of games, whether it's him creating or us running something for him. But yeah, we've had those moments where we we can just kind of spurt out. But that you kind of hit it, and I want to talk about it a little bit with seeing the way Baker played against FSU, having AJ, it seems like if we could get, and I know we've been saying this for four years of consistent Baker, but having him and AJ together out there could really change some dynamics and what we're doing. Um, we have the potential to put three 40% shooters, three-point shooters on the floor with Paolo and Mark. Um, and coming into the year, we thought that was going to be kind of a weakness, and it really it's a borderline kind of it could be a strength for it it's certainly not as hindering as i was thinking it would be now if we want to talk about guard play specifically overall maybe but the shooting maybe we were kind of shouldn't be as concerned about that as we we thought we should be i don't know what do y'all think and you, you mentioned three 40 three-point shooters and i assume the third one would be more there yeah um however if you just look at keels uh since the unc game i, I believe he's at 46% from three or something like that. So if that's real at all, um, hold on, I have its numbers here. Yeah, 47% from the field, 46% from three, 68 from the line uh, over his last uh, uh, last six games. So yeah, I mean, that's that's a pretty significant sample of the season there, right? Six games, we've only played like, what, 25 or something? I don't know yeah. at this point, yeah. Yeah. probably more than that, but what are we 24 and three or something like that? Yeah. So 27 so, games yeah. or 24 uh, and four, whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, six games is a quarter of the season there that he's really been on this tear. Um, so maybe this, I think the reality is probably somewhere in between. He wasn't as bad a shooter as we saw early in the year and he's not a 46% three point shooter either. But if we could even get him at 38% there, then we have, lineups of Keels, Baker, AJ Moore, Paolo could be really interesting in a kind of end of game scenario. Or if you do want the two bigs on the floor, you still got three shooters out there, no matter who you go with. Right. And which kind of leads us, I guess, to talking about um, Roach kind of being the odd man out. Right. And we've seen it. He's kind of hit after playing really well when kills went down. I thought he stepped back into his role. And like we've talked about the assist to turnover ratio for four or five games since then, the last like five games or so, we've seen his minutes continually drop. You know, he had been one of the highest on the team. I think it, the last time he played 30 minutes was Virginia and it's decreased every game since then. Um, so that's, that's another thing going forward of like, what's his role going to be. Um, Personally, I think if he can embrace it and come and we could get 15 to 18 off the bench for him, maybe that is the way to go. I don't know. We talked about it all years. Like for you all, is is that the ceiling path for Duke is getting Roach to kind of adopt this bench guard role or do we have to get him back in the starting lineup? What do you think? I don't think we necessarily have to get him back in the starting lineup. I mean, it's fine to have him coming off the bench. We he hasn't like led us in scoring in any game at any point this year. Right. So, um, you know, giving us nine, 10 points here, or there is great. We don't necessarily need it. I don't think, um, kills gives you more, more of the, uh, upside on, on that end. Um, and not as big a liability on the defensive end. So it's just a, an overall way better way to go, to be honest. 
especially if Keels is going to pass like he did uh, in the FSU game. Um, you know, he's shown that in flashes before, but the big argument for Roach over Keels before was that he freelances a little bit less, runs the team a little bit better, has a 2.5 to 1 assist-to-turnover ratio, but if Keels is going to make smart decisions with the ball, his ability to create in the pick-and-roll, um, his ability to actually knock down a three once in a while, unlike uh, Roach, you know, plus his superior defensive ability, there's not really a strong argument for Roach to be starting. I think you still need him to play some just for depth. But we were talking before the podcast, his true shooting is like 46%, which is historically bad for a Duke guard. I mean, I don't think you can find really anyone else you know he's low volume but if anything that should help him typically as your volume decreases your efficiency goes up so that's that makes it even worse the fact that he's only taking these wide open threes and can't hit them and and the other thing like uh, i think it was the the weight game down the stretch like kills um being strong with the ball like driving he drew a lot of fouls he got to the free throw line now going one for two a couple times, you know, I'd rather him not do that. But, you know, he, he has been shown the ability to 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 get into the lane and draw fouls, at least. I don't recall seeing a lot of free throws from Jeremy Roach this year. No, when he drives into the lane, it's – I don't want to say it's an adventure because you know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's going to be blocked. The the mid range is what like is really hurting him because he has no in between game right like he he his jump shot looks decent but he's just not making those pull up twos and if he gets too far in that floater push shot he has has got to be like in the twenties or teens percentage wise because it seems to just never go. Um, the weird thing is he hit like fifty seven percent of his mid range shots last year. I mean maybe it was just yeah. such a small sample that it's an anomaly, but. The one thing he was efficient at last year has just gone out the window. His three-point shooting hasn't improved. So really the only positive you can say for his game's kind of overall improvement would be slight defensive improvement, but not so much that you would call him a good defender. And then better improvement in terms of assist to turnover. But when you look at kind of historic Duke guards that have stayed three or four years, the ones that end up really good are normally farther along by now. Yeah. It, sometimes we see that the big, you know, next year could be it. The sophomore to junior jump used to be kind of the big one back in the day. Um, we'll kind of see, but it's getting kind of nitty gritty, you know? And I think now it's, it's starting to get my favorite time of the year. I really like the like bracketology stuff. So I, we talk about that a little bit. Um, if you follow us over on the boards, Matt Duke always does a thread for the ACC tournament seating. It's one of my favorites every year. Um, so right now we are in first in the ACC, but also we just saw the recent, uh, NCAA tournament seating. And right now they had us as the two seed out West. So I'm curious just to kind of throw it around for a minute. Is there a path for a one seed or are we looking at a situation where Duke wins out and still needs help from other people around us? Or is like a two seed in the East probably what we should be shooting for? I mean, I think there's still a path to the one seed, but it's probably a little bit of both. Like we need to to win these next, what do we got? Three road games. And then the the finale at home with Carolina, um, that would give us the double by in the ACC tournament. So what, win two or three games there? And I don't know if you necessarily have to win the ACC tournament too, because we just saw Auburn loss this weekend. Um, so, you know, I don't know what some of these other tops, I think Kentucky and Auburn still have to play again too, or might meet again in the SEC tournament. I just, I don't see if we win the regular season and the ACC tournament. I mean, when has a uh, ACC team done that and not been a one seed? Right. If we went out with 30 and four, to me, I'm not sure. I know that that record is deceiving, but when you put Duke beside it and our preseason expectation, the ACC has been down, but it's still, I don't think it's quite as bad as we thought it was going to be. Um, but if we're sitting there at 30 and four or even at 29 and five, let's say we drop like that 
Syracuse road game and sure. we, we win everything else and we win the ACC tournament. That's going to be tough to leave us off. Um, especially if to me, like you said, Kentucky and Auburn are fighting for one of them. I don't mm-hmm. think there's any scenario where they both get a one seed. Gonzaga seems to have it locked up. Arizona's interesting. They're in there. Um, but yeah, I think the, I think what would hurt us is let's say if we won out and then we lose our first game in the ACC tournament, that would do it. That wouldn't get it done. Right. But I think any other scenario could go ahead. Roll. I was just going to say, I think we only need to advance to the final. Um, I don't know that they factor in that final game that much because it typically occurs on selection Sunday. Well, now it's on Saturday, right? Where okay. the ACC moved everything to Saturday finals now. Oh, right. Okay. So yeah. it would have already occurred, but it's, it's still coming in really late there. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then who even knows who we'd be playing in the final, you know, it might not be a strong opponent that would actually help us depending on, you know, if there's an upset or something like that, I would think winning out plus, advancing to the final would get us a one seed. The question is whether we really want that because at that point we'd probably be one in the West, right? We'd be the worst one. No, Gonzaga, Gonzaga will take, have to take West. Oh, right, right, right. So yeah, we're right. probably would either be, I would say we'd probably be East just due to geographic, right? If Gonzaga's ahead of us, they'd take West. If Arizona's still up there, they'd probably either have to take South or Midwest. Midwest, yeah. And then Kentucky, Auburn's going to either want the South or Midwest. Mm. So we would be last, but technically we would still get the one we would want. Yeah, that's funny because normally if if you're the last one, everybody else is picking and you end up with the one you'd want the least. But in this particular situation, it could actually benefit us. Well, either way, if we're a two in the East – or one in the East, uh, that's better news than we just don't want to be the two in the West like we are now. Yeah. So I guess let's do it this way then. If you had to kind of predict out and we'll kind of go around, you know, gun to your head, whatever, you could, if, you know, are you projecting Duke getting the one? Do you think it's we're going to get a two or are you saying we drop down and get a three? I'm going to say a two seed. Um, and I do think that we will drop one more game and my prediction is the Syracuse game. And then I think we'll do well enough in the ACC tournament to make up for that loss. I'd also say a two seed. Um, I just think one of these next three were on the road. Virginia is going to be tough uh, Wednesday night. Um, even at Pitt, I mean, they're, they're not good, but you, you never know. I mean, I don't want to get caught looking ahead to the Carolina game there. Right. So um, I think we're going to end up catching one somewhere uh, between now and selection Sunday. So I think the best bet would probably be a, a two seed. I think they, they had us as the, the third two seed, right. In the. Uh, Who are the last two seed? Yeah. We were, we're the Gonzaga's last. number one overall. So they get the last yeah, two seed true. So okay. down there. That would be fun. That would be funny. Like, they they're the number one seed overall, and their reward is they get us as the two, right? A team that's already beaten them. That kind of sucks for them. Not that I'm convinced we'd actually even get that far, but in the West, that might be a little dicey. But presuming we did, that's kind of a. I feel like they'd be getting screwed a little bit there. Yeah, especially with Providence as the three, too, right? And obviously, Providence could beat Duke, but if all we had to do was go out to California and it's like, all right, you got Providence and Gonzaga, I would take that as a shot to get to the Final Four. Wasn't it 2019 we were the overall number one and we got Michigan State, who was the top two seed in our bracket? Yep, and that turned out to suck, but I don't... Yep. (laughs) But we weren't playing well to begin with... uh, yeah, you know, even going into that tournament, we squeaked out of the second round. So, speaking of Providence, yeah. speaking of Providence, aren't they really low in Kimpom? Not that that's the be all and end all, but aren't they like something crazy, like forty seventh or something? I Who Providence? Yeah. Providence? Yeah. Um, yeah, they're forty sixth, and they're talked about as a three seed. That's wild because well, they have the net. You got Kimpom. You got all these different things. Um, to me, I just want to avoid the South region. If we're a two seed, even a one seed, I think I'd rather take a two in the East, maybe even a two in the West than in the South, just because I don't want that scenario where you have like 
a combination of Baylor, Houston, Texas, Texas Tech, all up in your region, even if they're the four, five, three seeds, and it's like you're going to have to go to Texas and beat two teams in Texas from Texas. I'd rather avoid that. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I think if I had to choose, I'm actually – I'm a little more optimistic, and I think we're going to get the one seed. I'm just That's just kind of what I'm, I'm projecting. I'm kind of similar. I think we drop – we might could drop the Syracuse game and win the rest. That's what I'm hoping for because if we take that loss to Pitt, I don't think we get the one seed even if we run the rest going out. Um just because that's going to be a pretty bad loss. I really don't want to get swept by Virginia either. Yeah, I mean, I don't either. Even though it wouldn't be a brutally bad loss because I believe they've climbed climbed into the top 75 now. Yeah, I think they're still 80th, somewhere around there. So that would get them there then, but that that would be dropping too. Yeah. But if if we drop that and we were to win out, then I'm cool with that too. But to me, once we get past... Virginia, Syracuse, I don't want to lose again. <laughs> Unless it's like the semifinal or not the semifinal because that'd probably be Carolina. But let's say we catch Notre Dame in the finals and like they just happen to kind of get us. I'm not, you know, that's whatever. I think we could still be fine. Um, I really want the one seed just because I think if just it's historically important. Obviously, it makes your path a little easier. But for Duke, it's, you know, Raul always talked about it. on the. I don't think it was the last pod, but the one before that of just – it's been a long time since we beat a higher seed in a tournament. Part of that's because we usually are a higher seed, but I, I really think that one seed is is just crucial for us um, getting out of there and, and trying to trying to get to New Orleans. You know, well, we haven't made party. a Final Four without being a one seed since what, like ninety ninety one, right? Ninety one, right? Yeah, no, uh, ninety four actually. Um, oh, good. Call. We have we haven't won without being a one seed since '91, our first title, of course. But uh, in '94, right. we were a two seed and we did make the finals. Yeah. Yep. So, but either way, you're talking a long time, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And the farthest we've made it as a two seed is the Elite Eight, and then we've lost to the favored team. You know, that's another thing is maybe we'll get lucky this year, but we tend to draw chalk. I mean. It's, like uh, and when we don't, it's situations like 2017 where we're we're upset too. So, yes, our bracket imploded, but we are part of that implosion. We are, yeah, because that's a good thing. Now that you said that, going back just off the top of our head, so 19 we were the higher seed, but we got chalk, got Michigan State. Mm-hmm. 18 we were the lower seed, got chalk, got Kansas. What was the last one before? Obviously 15, but it was chalk. We got Gonzaga. They were the two seed, I mm-hmm. believe. They were our two. 13, we were the two, but we got Louisville, the oh. champion, who shouldn't even have been in the tournament. Right? We all know how that story went. But yep. So you have to go back a while. Yeah, when is the last time that we've kind of had a pretty big uh, margin like that in the Elite Eight? It has to have been a while. Yeah, yeah I mean, we've gotten some breaks once we got to the Final Four. Um, like, That's for true. example, Wisconsin beating Kentucky. Yes, Wisconsin was a one seed, but, you know, they were not – as dominant a team as Kentucky was. Uh, same thing with 2010, Kentucky getting upset. Yeah, uh, getting West Virginia instead, and then getting Butler, which was a five seed. Yeah. But typically in our actual region, we're drawing chalk. I mean, think about 2015. We played – this occurred to me the other day. Think about who was on that Utah team. That's our Sweet 16 opponent. And they had Pirtle, Jacob Pirtle, and uh, what was the point guard? DeLon Ryan. Wright. Duran Wright, Kyle yeah. Kuzma and Jakob Pertl. Yeah, yeah. Three I like Kuzma was on there. Yeah, that was a loaded Ooh. team. Yeah, it's that's yeah. pretty crazy to me. Like those are three prominent. You know, none of them are like superstars, but those are three prominent NBA players. Just to have yeah. to go through that in the Sweet Sixteen in a region that was closer to Utah than it was to to Durham is pretty crazy. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see down the stretch. Um, you know, I guess th- it would be nice to win the ACC regular season. I've We've talked about how it's not really like winning it, but it's just been so long that it's, you know, I'd like to do that. I'm hoping that 17-3 and three isn't required to do it. 16-4 um, and four I'd feel pretty good about, but either way, I'd like to get that, like to get the number one seed um, in the ACC tournament and then see what can happen, but um so yeah this week we talked about coming up we got the the road game at virginia the revenge game uh that should be pretty good we played really well on the road and i think that since they beat us already that should kind of i don't think the ranking is going to matter we should come pretty fired up pretty prepared for that 
And then what is it? It's at Cuse and then at Pittsburgh, right? Yep. So those are the three straight road games. Um, you know, got to get it done. I feel pretty good about this team on the road, though. So, yeah, here's a stat for you. Uh, in revenge games since 2010, we're 23 and five. So, pretty good okay. overall. Um, yeah. And I believe the, the losses, three of them were to UNC. Those would be uh, sweeps. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. we got swept by Louisville last year. But last year is kind of a year you can almost throw out. Um, and then the only other one was 2013 uh, with Maryland. But one of those games was in the ACC tournament. And Kills was still kind of getting back into form in mm-hmm. that Virginia game, right? That was the second game back. And I think that uh, he struggled. There's going to be a lot of film where they're looking at Kihei Clark, and hopefully one of those guys takes it personal, either him or Moore or somebody that's like, we're going to, we're going to lock this dude down. This, this ain't happening again. Because um, he, he's the reason why the home guy went like, what, eight for eight, was just all dunks or whatever. It was, it was Kihei. It was Clark just carving us up, getting wherever he wanted to. He was pacing space, doing whatever he wanted, completely comfortable. So hopefully we kind of get in there and um, kind of get him out of that zone a little bit. But um, I yeah, don't think so, I know, don't think we're going to be able to like rattle him. You know, I don't. I wouldn't throw like double teams at him because he's so composed. But I think if we can just play solid defense on him and be ready for that drop off pass and just stay home. Right, yeah. making St- making make that making make him make shot. That, yeah, yeah. Don't just don't that. don't leave your feet and let him drop one off. Right. And then you're in the wants. air, and he's got some guy dunking it. Like, stay on your foot, stay on your feet. If especially if you're Martin, just get a hand up and make him shoot over you. I mean, if you make some, I'll live with a couple of them. But those drop offs for easy dunks, so just can't you can't have that. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we've learned learned our lesson from that. Can can finish strong, but uh. Yeah, so first leg of the road trip coming up. Hopefully, we can get out of there two and zero. See what happens as the season kind of wraps up. Anything else from you all before we get out of here? Uh, I just you hit on it earlier. If you guys haven't listened that um, JJ podcast, the old man and the three with with uh, Jason Tatum, that's a that's a great listen for you guys. I should just give that a shout out. You should go check that one too. Every NBA fan should be uh, subscribing to that podcast anyway. Uh, JJ is one of the best media guys out there, but in particular, I would recommend some of the interviews with the Duke guys because they get into a lot of cool stories. Um, the story about Kay and his hating their faces. I can't yeah. say it since this is a clean podcast, but yeah. that had me cracking up. Just the fact that that was the whole time out, that he didn't come in with <laughs> right. strategy or clipboard. He just walked up to him and said, I hate your effing face and just like went and sat back down. And that's it. I love that. I love that stuff. Um, that, that was, yeah, that was great. Yeah, the Tatum Pop was good. Chris Paul was good. Um, and any other news, I went and saw the Uncharted movie. That's pretty worth checking out. And, uh, you know, if you're into gift giving, I got a birthday coming up in May and Paul McCartney's going to be in Winston. So, you know, I'll take two, okay. um, you know, just, uh, just throwing that out there in, in the atmosphere, but, um, you can come to the far side with me in April. I yeah. Mean, there we go. Old school, but you there know. we go. Yeah. I saw the Paul McCartney thing. He can't really, he can't really sing anymore, but it would still be amazing. No, just vocal to- range is gone, but it's like, you know, I'm not, how many more chances are you going to get to see a beetle? Right. Exactly. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, you know, rate, review, subscribe, go check us out at thedevilsden.com, um, email us at thedevilsdenpod at gmail.com, and uh, you know, we're going out on the road this week, so you, you know, verve like Theo and a face like Joey, go do. Go do.